So, so before you keep going, hi everybody, this is Ben Malkin. We'll, we'll go deeper into, into who he is. Basically, he's a PhD in psychology. He's also a neuropsychologist treating, uh, diagnosing the, the developmental issues in ADHD, autism, et cetera. And I'm sure that we'll, we'll touch upon it. But what we're talking about right now, which I think it's like super interesting, is Jewish mysticism, which Ben doesn't know a lot about, but he's a rabbi. So, so anyway, go ahead. Yes. <laughs> so um, we, we were just kind of in the middle of a conversation, but I think the, uh, um, like Christian was talking about uh, different concepts of moving your energy through your body in like, traditional, I guess, Himalayan um, yoga. And I was kind of thinking, thinking how that's connected to uh, Chinese Qigong and moving the chi around your body. And then Christian was like, oh, and I think this was related to something in Jewish mysticism, which is very possible that he knows more about Jewish mysticism than I do. Uh, <laughs> because I, what I was going to get into is that my training um, is very traditional, uh, kind of orthodox, what they might call yeshivish learning, um, which really puts a major emphasis on law-based learning. Um, very kind of different than mysticism, but you end up learning a lot about different mystical concepts and things almost very often as they relate to different laws. Um, so I would put the caveat as I don't, I wouldn't say anything of that, you know, this is the stance for, oh, you know, you go to a Jewish mystic, this is what they're going to tell you. Um, but I think that, that as even an introduction, sometimes it's helpful to have different ideas, uh, even for the kind of more mainstream uh, concepts of Jewish, Jewish okay. orthodoxy. So then let's talk about, uh, I remember that one time when you really explained how the tradition of the Sohar and the Kabbalah ended up to be like, <laughs> that, that was a really cool conversation. But, but talking about what, and, and I may ask you a little bit about it in a little bit, but what I, in, in terms of what we were speaking, we we're talking about yoga philosophy and we we're talking about the nadis, right? These, these channels of energy that uh, supposedly are around 72,000 in your body, kind of like arteries and veins, and you move them through conscious, through co conscious attention. So you focus on a specific part of your body with your breathing, and then you move mentally your attention through one part to another. And what's, what's interesting about this is that initially it just feels like, like, like a mental exercise. But as you go through doing this over a period, I, I guess it's variable depending on who does it and for, and for how long do they do it and, and how much attention they can put into the exercise. But what ends up happening is that you actually start feeling it. Now, is this placebo? Is this something else? Is this like mind conditioning? I don't know. But you start suddenly feeling the energy moving from one place to another, or you start feeling something moving from one place to another, which is interesting. But what I, my question regarding uh, the Jewish mysticism is that in, in yoga philosophy, they call these six or seven centers of energies chakras. And I remember one time that I was, I think I have a book called the Kabbalah somewhere around here. And I think <laughs> I was reading that and, and they, kind of talk about the same but they call them sephiroths so okay i don't know like so like, so 
there's a there's there's a lot of background to this that I, again I, I wouldn't say that I'm an expert on um, the just a couple I, I would start out with one one concept um, and then maybe look connected to other things um, so in a completely non mystical type of perspective um, many people many Jews uh, will, will pray three times a day. Um, it's a practice that's actually well known going back for about two and a half, three thousand years. Um, and one of the the concepts that, and it's actually brought down in the in the law books about what the ideal prayer looks like. Really, the idea of prayer looks like is that you totally lose track of your physical surroundings, and it's really you're just you imagine yourself talking directly to God. That's really what you're, you're imagining. And really no part of your body is really involved in that. Um, so when I like, so when I think about this of like these meditative experiences, um, it's interesting that, that from the Himalayan tradition or from even a Chinese tradition, you're really focusing very much on your body and focusing in, in another way to make it totally synergistic. And, and that's why I think that at least in certain areas in kind of that Jewish uh, meditation perspective is really not focusing on your body. And it's focusing, you know, really with your mind almost somewhere else that you lose track of it. Like I, I had once an example, um, I, there's a, there's all these different laws related to prayer and like there's there are books and books written about it. Um, but I had one of my mentors told me that um, he had, he knew a bunch of people who actually live in Jerusalem and he's like, because after there's a certain part of prayer that you say, and then it gets repeated by the person leading the prayer. And the way he described it is like, these people, they're so fo focused and intent when they're praying, they've never heard that part of where they repeat it afterwards. Because while they're in there, they don't even know anything else that's going on. Um, so I think the, you know, just like a, maybe a mind perspective to start off with is there are certain things that definitely in, in Jewish mystical realm that you're also going to be focusing on your body and focusing making sure that you're you're presentable and that you're like you're you're coming to 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 your god to pray but i think at the same time there's also there's this change from from who you like that it's not just about your body it's about something else that's outside of you um, i will say one other story that i think is a fascinating story um there was a rabbi who passed away about 25 years ago uh, actually, no, 35 years ago now. Um, he passed away, I think, right before, I'm about, I'm 35 years old now, so I think it was right before I was born, actually. Uh, a guy named um, Rev. Moshe Feinstein. Um, he was, he actually, what's interesting is he was considered the leader of Orthodox Judaism in America, for sure, uh, but not because he had any position. There wasn't any, like, he was, like, it would, he wasn't voted to be the leader. There wasn't anything like that. It's more that he just was the smartest guy around he knew the most stuff and so everybody would follow what he said to do um and he had a he told the story once that when he actually lived in russia for a long time and he once was there was some charge and they brought him against the uh, like the head of that province and he had to testify uh, about something and he he described that his feeling in standing in front of that person where it was clear that 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 person could kill him or not there wouldn't be, like, it wasn't any, like, if he didn't like him, he could kill him. And, and there was that fear and that, that need to be, like, wow, it's not, and, and it wasn't just, like, that he thinks the person's evil. It wasn't, it wasn't that, it was just that this person has so much power that I'm standing in front of 
and I have to present myself not in like a meek way, but like I'm I'm this is a this is a really powerful, amazing person in front of me. And he, he remembers thinking that he was never able to really experience that sort of feeling and how his body should I guess posture should be in standing in front of that person. And so he said he said that when now when I pray, I assume that same posture because I know that there's this power that I'm I'm engaging with. And that that's the way that I should, my body should be feeling in front of that. So I would just to connect, because we're talking about how your body, and not just being in a different place, but also like how your, how your body should feel. Um, so I think that, that was a, there's a story that connected to, just I don't know if it's on a random topic. <laughs> it is interesting because it makes me think, okay, I'm, I'm picturing this guy in front of an, an incredibly powerful being that could kill me if he if he or she wanted and and i i think i kind of relate to the general feeling of it okay so if i'm praying to god that should be all powerful there is this sense of awe respect i mean and, and i'm thinking of it from like it being a separate being from myself too right like mm -hmm. so, so according to that tradition and I, I have to be respectful. I have to be, I, I, I would for sure be in awe, respectful and a little bit fearful. And the combination of all those feelings would put me in a very specific mind state and, and a natural consequence of that would be a posture, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that will, will be kind of like prone to almost like, almost maybe not, like I want to say almost devotion right? Like, and this devotional state is, is going to be very positive to, or conducive to deep meditation. I, 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 I see that. You know, let me give you a plot twist, though, in terms of what you were saying. It's funny. So you, you talk about the Judaic prayer tradition in which you really want to be so absorbed in prayer that you don't understand, like, you can't even think, like, it's not part of your attention, anything that is going on with your body or your surroundings. And interestingly the yoga tradition is the same now <laughs> it is the, the, the thing is that they, you, you, threw, you threw me for one there <laughs> yeah but they have a process towards leading you there so what they what they say is okay you can through your actions forget yourself that's a way to deal with it and they and they call that karma yoga and there, yeah. it's, it's a whole, uh, basically what they want you to do. And, and I'm going to just, I'm not going to do it justice, but basically what it is, what it's based on is it's on you just working really hard and working so hard that you forget why you're even working. You forget why you're even working. You forget uh, the purpose of it. it. Like it starts with a purpose. It starts with an end goal. It ends on you doing it just for the sake of it and enjoying it so much that you are not even thinking about what you're doing and hence you're really just praying all the time without noticing you're just like doing the thing because it's good then then but that's one type now the, the one the, the other type that we were kind of like talking about is more of something in the that is called raja yoga which is it, it's it's more of a it's called the king the, the, the royal yoga that would be the translation and the point of this type of yoga is that it, the more subtle you go the more 
I don't want to say effective, but maybe easier, right? Like in order to work very hard to the point that you get yourself to forget about everything else, there's a lot of thought process that has to go into it. There's a lot of emotional turmoil that you need to get there. And you may never get there, right? Like you may just hate your job and never go into that next step of uh, personal evolution if we want to talk about it in those terms. So, so what they want to do is that they say, okay, work is a, is a physical mental thing, but if, but below the physical and below the mental, there's the energetic. So they, as we, as we, if we speak from psychological terms, we know that there's a correlation between emotions and thoughts and certain thoughts lead to certain emotions. And, and so what they say is, yes, that's true. And certain energy patterns lead to certain thought patterns that lead to certain emotional patterns. Okay. So what we want you to do is that you, we want you to control your energy that is basically making your body and your mind function. We want, it, we want you to learn to do so in such a way that you withdraw the energy from all the places you don't need it and focus it on one specific point. And if you do this for a consistent period of time, then you forget yourself. You pierce reality and you win communion with God. And, and that's, and, and that's kind of like the purpose of this whole thing. And so they, they, they want you to do it by controlling your body. How do you control your body? Through your posture and through your breathing. So the, the, the more even your breath, the more relaxed your body is going to be. The more relaxed your body is going to be, the less likely it is that it's going to jerk or move around. And by not jerking and by not moving around, the less likely it is for it to distract you when you're in, med in a meditative state. Uh, okay. Yeah. Also, the more uh, even your breath, you like it's it's the same. Uh, it's the same for your body, but it's the same for your thoughts. The more even your thoughts are, the more even the flow, even from inhalation, even that transition, that transition from inhalation to exhalation, is like a trip, man. I don't know if we're I don't know if we're inhaling the same things. <laughs> <laughs> so at the beginning it's just it's just a transition. But but the, the more you focus, the more you focus, the more you focus, you will see this little jerk between the transition and of inhalation, of exhalation. And the more even it becomes, you the the the, the, the the less you'll be breathing, I feel like not necessarily. I don't want to put ideas in your head. <laughs> but, but, but what will happen is that you'll see that the, the more even this transition is, the, more, the deeper your mind state. Let's just say that. And, and it becomes this weird experience. But uh, I, I forget what the main point. Oh, yeah. So basically what you will start noticing, and this is something I started noticing myself like maybe like a year or two ago, is that I think that it's impossible to, to stop thinking. I think that our mind just like is always thinking. We, and we may be able to pay or not pay attention to our thoughts depending on the intensity of our concentration in one specific point. Well, and that could be a prayer. Or, or whatever. But what I started noticing, which is something that I was told by, by one of my yoga teachers at some point, is that you'll notice that every time you, you're, when you're in a very meditative state, when you have a jerk in your breathing, it really correlates to a thought that you're thinking that has a, an emotional valence to it. And then it, it becomes kind of tricky, right? Like it, it starts 
it, it starts becoming, oh, so what are the thoughts that I'm having that have this emotional valence that like fuck with my breath, you know, like, like right, what, what's right. going on there? And then you go there and you realize, mm -hmm. yes, there's an emotional valence there. And how do I let go of that emotional valence so it doesn't bother my, my, my meditative practice? But it, it's more than that. It doesn't just affect your meditative practice, it affects your life because then the less distracted you are in your life by these like intrusive thoughts that like take your attention away from your purpose, then it can only be a good thing in, in, right. in, in, in different ways. So as long as like you're, you're linking it up, you know, in a, it's like in a psychological perspective, like you're linking what you're doing up to this, this end goal of the, you know, the purpose that you're doing it for, whether it's you know, to live more effectively, to live more comfortably, to live more um, focused. And in order to do that, you have these almost like impurities in the way that your, your life is, is, is going on. And then you never quite get there. You never quite have that, that or sometimes maybe, you know, by chance you have a day where you feel like you, you have it, you do it, you're, 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 and that's where you would always want to live. But the way you're, I think what you're describing is that unless you go through that process of smoothing out all of those bumps in your consciousness or in your energy or in your emotions, then you're not going to be able to have that life that you wish you had. Yeah, I, I, yes, and I would, I would say, and at some point, that goal, that end goal of having an effective life and having a, a specific thing becomes nothing it becomes like just really enjoying the moment and it, it it becomes like just enjoy the present moment and then you realize that it doesn't really matter what you're doing as long as what you're doing is fun enough and 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 per like it feels good enough that it really brings you into that thing that you're doing fully and then these emotional jerks if we call them like that like just take you away from that present moment and, and, and it really does become a sort of like, whoop, like in and out, like in and out entering of the present moment. And, and that's kind of like the goal, quote unquote, like even in out or, or taking out those like impurities, if we want to call them that way. So you're enjoying the moment more and more and more. And it's the same as karma yoga, right? Like, or it's the same as that prayer that you were talking about where you're forgetting yourself because when you're truly in the present moment, you're, you're you're not thinking that much, really. You're just like really in like being one with that thing. You're just like an expression of something that you're not. It's like the it's like a counterpart to being in autopilot. You know, like when you're in autopilot, you're just th saying things out of habit. You're not even mm -hmm. thinking them through. You're just saying the thing. You're just going through the motion. But this is you're actively a hundred percent in the moment and you're not knowing what exactly you're saying but you're saying it because but it's not autopilot because it's coming <laughs> almost like spontaneous in that moment do you are like just to, to throw in another piece into this into this puzzle here are you because it's very similar to what you're describing is like that the the Mihai concept of flow of of mm -hmm. being totally engaged in something but that to me i've always understood that as not a passive experience but a very much active experience that you're you're truly bringing your whole self to something and there is a certain aspect where you're not processing each piece of information individually and you're just that's what they call it flow it's kind of like you're just flowing through it hitting all the points you need to hit 
and you know it's this it's this incredible experience but but i'll tell you because one of the things i don't know if there's a couple things that i had listed to, to talk to talk about and i and i think you're like a a good expert on these things is that dynamic between being happy and being fully content or engaged in the moment and that being totally fine and not needing to do anything else as opposed to wanting to accomplish and do things and, and build things and getting, you know, and it's just because to me, the second one is really the, where the flow comes in is that when they talk about flow, it's people who are doing things that they have this uh, affinity for and aptitude for. And when they do them, you get so involved in it, you almost lose track of time. You lose track of, of whatever else is going on, but it's an active thing as opposed to, you know, me sitting in a chair, you know, and I like the classic mindfulness, appreciating how my body feels, how my mind feels, how my emotions feel, the temperature, the humidity in the room, like all those different things that I can appreciate that. But then the second thing will just kind of push me to be just like, I don't need to do anything. I don't need to engage in the world. I can just be comfortable and happy where I am. So I, I wanted to give that, go through those concepts out to you and see what, what your responses are. For that. Got it. You know, I, I, I get, I, I see what you're saying in terms of the flow, like the differentiation between that mindfulness aspect and flow. I, I, I'm coming from the, the point, uh, like I'm, I'm speaking from the point of tradition, like Himalayan tradition and the quest for self-knowledge and, and that mindfulness aspect of understanding and uh, of being able to know your like know where your body is where your position is mentally your temperature the way that you're breathing and all these things they're kind of like a an exercise of your concentration capacity like when you go and do some body lifting you're doing bench press you can do 20 then you can do 30 then you can do 40 and and then you can do 40 and talk with a friend and then you can maybe like, if you really want it to be hardcore, maybe I have a friend that is like this. Maybe you can start just like carry a kettlebell wherever you want. Like, like well, it doesn't <laughs> quite correlate with bench press specifically, but with your capacity to just carry weight. And then you just become this person that can pay so much attention to the things around them that, that, and, that and you turn that into your baseline and then you can pay more. Like, so so the, med the meditative moment is like your bench press. So you're sitting down, you're meditating, and then you suddenly uh, are able to pick up, breathe more fully, breathe more attentive. And, and then you do this for a period of time, then that becomes your baseline. Then you, you notice you're doing it, and you can live your normal life without thinking too much about it. Kind of like when you're driving initially, it's hard, and then you just can do everything you want in, while driving. And then you can pay attention to your temperature and then you and that becomes your baseline and then that becomes your base and so on and so forth and then that expands but, but the purpose is really being in that kind of maybe like that flow in the moment state and that is in my opinion a combination it is very active and i agree it's like an active thing now when are we passive i feel like when we're passive like it's when we're not attentive, right? Like when, when we're back into that autopilot kind of state, even mindfulness, appreciating all those things and appreciating this certain aspect, that's a training process. And ultimately, 
in my opinion, it leads you to, towards like a, this flow ultimately too. I don't know, does that make sense? So I, I, you said a, a bunch of things there. I was, I was trying to, to make sure I kept track of all of them. Um, the, just the, the first thing I think that I wanted to clarify, because it sounded like you were saying a really interesting point of that the goal is not through meditation to pull you away from the rest of your life. And rather instead that the rest of your life, which used to be requiring so much, and I'm going to use your terms of jerking from this thing to that thing, um, it used to require that. It's not that going to require that anymore. Like you can go through the rest, of your, the rest of your life in a much more present, mindful way. And then the, now it depends on how, what you want to do with that. So like you could go, now that you can live your whole life much more mindfully and much more engaged, there's obviously you have greater capacity to do more things than you wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. Or you can just appreciate that, that, that part of your life. But I think that's a, so something that's a paradigm shift for me, understanding that the goal of meditation is not to slowly withdraw from all your pursuits, but it's to be able to engage with them fully without that part. So I think, was that, do I, did I get you on that first part? You got it a hundred percent. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so that was, that, that's a, that's a really cool, very interesting idea. Um, and I, that by the way is a very much, because we, as you were talking about it, there's like bells ringing off on the side of my head of things that, that they talk about a lot in, in even not just Jewish mysticism, even like the traditional um, kind of everyday Jewish law is that the overall perspective is not to, um, like we talked about a prayer before of that you, you totally lose track of your body. You're, you're just really thinking of yourself as, as communicating with God. The overall like, goal in Judaism in general is not that, is not to distance yourself from your body or negate physical things and just be spiritual. It's actually very much to go from the physical or use the physical, transform the physical into something that's spiritual. Um, so let's say, for example, there's this, uh, I mean, even the concept that this is like a totally taboo thing to talk about, but we're gonna talk about it anyway, <laughs> like sacrifice, the whole concept of sacrifice. Um, the traditional thing way and the way it's perceived, I think many religions look at it this way, um, is that you're giving something um, to your God, like because he or she or it wants all these things and they get annoyed when they don't have these things. And so you have to keep them happy by giving them stuff, um, the concept of sacrifice. Um, but when you look through like the traditional Jewish texts on it, very much what it often will talk about is that what you're doing is you're, it's almost like a microcosm of your general purpose in the world. The general purpose in the world is to take something that's just physical, has no spiritual qualities to it, and uplift it to become a spiritual tool. Um, and the concept of like for many, for many, I mean, it gets, this is, it gets a little more complicated of exactly what happens with sacrifices, but the, um, just on a very simple level, let's say you have, let's say it's, it's, it's an animal, whether, whether it's, I mean, it could be money, it could be a bunch of different things, but what you're doing is you're saying, in essence, this thing is going to represent me and represent how I want to be physical, but I'm going to use it of my expression to how I want to be more spiritual. And once you use something as a piece of your 
spiritual growth, it, it has that spirituality. In Hebrew, we would call it, it has that Kedusha. Um, and so, like, similar to what you're saying, I think, is that it's not just about living your life and be, being kind of just being totally removed from everything so you can just sit and meditate all day. It's that, no, you're using the meditation so that you can engage with life and your life is infused with that as well. Uh, so I, th I think those, those two concepts match up very much, uh, very much together. Yeah, man, I'm trying to put the kadoosh in my life too. <laughs> I, I agree. And it's funny. I think, I mean, I, I'm no Swami, right? Like I'm no ex. I, I you're you're I, on the road. You, you know, it's funny that you say that. I was just talking with a friend about this a couple of days ago. I actually, for a big period of my life, really wanted to be, well, back in the day, I was, well, I'm still Catholic, but I, I was thinking in terms of becoming a priest. Eventually, I decided that that was not a thing for me. And I mean, specifically because of priests tend to be uh, ab sexually abstinent, and that's just not my thing. And 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 I and I, and, and, and deeper than that, it was more of a. I felt like I would be escaping the escaping relationships, like in personally. I don't think I, I don't necessarily think this is 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 what everybody would feel, but I was reading a book uh, and, uh, that a Swami wrote and what this Swami said, Swami Vivekananda specifically, and what he said is that there is a very, very similar relationship or, or it looks very similar to be very afraid and to be very, very uh, masterful about one thing. And the example that he said is, or that he brought up was, okay, there is a person that is supposedly uh, trying to fulfill or live a life of no uh, ahimsa is the Sanskrit term for do no harm. So somebody's like bullying this person, and but but the person that is following ahimsa is saying, "I'm not gonna fight him. I'm not gonna fight him, or I'm not gonna fight her because I follow ahimsa." But in reality, he's just shit scared of fighting this person. <laughs> And it's just hiding like behind this principle. And then the opposite of that would be a master of martial arts. And the master of martial arts will also say, I'm not going to hurt him because I'm following the principle of ahimsa. And that is a very different experience, but it looks very much the same. And I think that's kind of like what I had in my experience when I thought, oh, maybe I want to become this at that time, I think I wanted to become a yogi and go to the mountains and separate myself from everything, like just like what you were talking. And then I saw this woman that was very attractive, and I'm like, hey, I, I, part of me really wants to like explore this relationship with somebody that I'm really attracted to, that I that I that I feel like it's an exceptional woman. And if and I feel like what I'm really doing by choosing this path of just like a renunciation of the world is that I'm being afraid of the of, of, of the road that I have to take to be in this t in, in, in an exceptional relationship and that's why that's the first reason I decided not to go that road and and coming back to what you were saying is that okay so I think this is what happened with the yogi tradition and this is just me hypothesizing right now 
but it does have to relate with different yoga traditions. Back in the day, if you wanted to get enlightened, and let's talk about like dark ages, right? Like when you're a normal civilian, you could get killed if you did the wrong thing, right? You're, you're half right. a slave at baseline. And it is really hard to be in the world and, and fully pursue the quest of the conquering of yourself and, and, and really knowing yourself because you are a subject of variables that will push you in crazy directions in your life. Maybe you will be enlisted to go to one arm. You mean, do you mean like, like, a, like a Maslow hierarchy where you, you haven't gotten your basic things yet, like your basic needs, and so you can't self-actualize on a higher level? Is that, is that what you're referencing? I, I, yes, but even in, into a worse level, right? Like nowadays, in order to, to meet the survival aspect of, a, of the Maslow hierarchy needs, you need shelter, food, and maybe a job, right? Like, and that you can to some extent control. But imagine a world where you can't even do that fully because even if you are, even if you have your like farm and you and your little house outside and you can and, and you, you do your, you eat your own vegetables, you have your cow, you drink your milk, you like you, you have your thing kind of under control. Every once in a while, like the troops will come and say, "Give me like." 75 percent of your shit right? Right. Or, or your or your daughter <laughs> or, or your daughter right like, or somebody will just come and kill you for it right. right like there's so many variables that are so outrageous back in the day that i feel like it was easier and, and, and a more effective decision to just go to the mountain where nobody's gonna bother you and try to self-actualize there interesting now, that's what I think. I mean, this is a hypothesis, so don't quote me on this. This is not the truth of reality. There's probably <laughs> way, way more things that are going on in the world. Now, it's, li- it's lucky this is not being recorded, so we, we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am giving that disclaimer. I, I think that, the, but my problem with that road is that I think it was a, a good thing to do back in the day, but if we're t- I do follow the principle that enlightenment is like never ending. Like, it, because if we're talking about a, an infinite universe and an infinite capacity to expand, then enlightenment can't be like a thing you do, right? Like it, can, it can be a goal towards your end. Like it has to be infinite in itself, infinite expansion. So it never really ends. So it really is about the present moment, expanding a little bit more in the moment and realizing that one extra thing in the moment and just enjoying that thing eternally. Did you do? I'm gonna just to, just to understand what you're saying there. Um, it sounds like there's a lot there's a lot of these concepts in your head that I'm I'm getting little tastes of. What but what's what you just said there? Um, just two things. One is that the you like a, an interesting theory that you're the traditional going off into the ashram type of way to self actualize or to know yourself. Um, using different, different goals for like different places uh, was necessary given the um, chaos, I guess a better easy way to say it, of the traditional world. And if, since there was such chaos, the only way to, to have any way of just being able to focus was to, to really just distance yourself from the rest of the world. Um, and is that, yeah, I, understand I, that part? I, I, I wouldn't say the only one because I'm sure that people would even in the midst of that chaos be able to do it, but just easier, like way easier than right. 
what it would or, be to or as a, or as like a program like if you were going to create a program for that the best way to create a program would be to to, to distance yourself maybe some people will, you know the, those select individuals could do it even while they were you know dealing with their local lord they could you know just sit down and just meditate in their little hut that would be fine but um often it would be possible i, I actually would extend what you're saying a little bit um kind of bringing in uh stephen pinker's better angels or nature i don't know if you know the book um it's a fascinating book but i think it's the, the this concept that the um like the bucolic sense of prehistoric settlements of I mean, these people living not you know out in, in Papua New Guinea and being these perfectly peaceful uh, communities mm -hmm. is totally false, um, and that and I think this is there's a much larger point that that I think is a whole another conversation. So I don't want to go down that road yet. Um, but the the idea is is that generally human uh, communities have been developing and working to become more safe more stable more regular um and we get we bemoan like oh my gosh we're all talking through computers nowadays and we we don't have normal interactions and we don't get outside and milk cows and you know sit in the forest all day um and so like we we're not living normal lives and so our lives are horrible but his point is that if you look back at the reality for how normal societies functioned for thousands of years uh it was tremendous chaos and like the chance of getting killed by another person nowadays and like someone else acting aggressively towards you is so minuscule compared to what it is in traditional hunter-gatherer societies or what it was. Um, so the, I guess the point that I was saying is like that chaos that you're talking about wasn't like a select, you know, it happened to be during the Middle Ages because right. there was that feudal system. It, it's something that has, has been going on and was probably much more insecure you know, thinking many, many years ago. Um, the, so that's, I think, point number one. I think the second point that you were saying um, was about um, in that you're, because the goal is of self-actualization isn't like getting somewhere. It's not like the destination of once I got there, I got to my goal and now I'm done. And I could, you know, take a die or whatever. I don't need to do anything. But that, you're, I think what you were describing is when getting to that next, whatever next is for you, the next is that goal for you now. And when you get there, there'll be another next. And there's no, it's, it's unending in that way. Mm -hmm. But what I wanted to ask you in that, because like you, you prompted a question, is the, is the traveling the goal? Or is each point that you get to arriving at that a goal? Um, so it's a little confusing. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that's what you're saying. It, it, it's, is it the insight of that extra thing that I got, the goal, or is it the moment, the traveling through the goal, the goal? <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and, and I think that what I would say is that it depends on where on when one would be mentally and, and experientially. I think that it whatever works for us. It, it, I sometimes will work for a goal. I sometimes will work for enjoying the goal, the, the travel towards the goal. I sometimes will just enjoy the moment with without looking for a goal at all. I, and I think 
that is where you want to be. But but we're taking we're the moment we're thinking in terms of goals. It's it's a moment that it's that is bringing us back to a mental concept. The moment that we're enjoying the moment, we're not thinking in goals, and we're just getting the insights as a byproduct of exploring the present moment. Mm-hmm. And and so that that is the game in some ways, right? Like mm-hmm. like oh yeah, I'm in my mind. No 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 no, I'm I'm enjoying the moment. I'm whoa, I realize this one thing, and and that's like like the eternal, ever expanding game, and which brings us back to the hiccups, right? Like is the is the thinking about the goal a hiccup in itself because it's bringing us to a mind state and, and what is this this thing that i need to do in order to be happy like do you need to do something to be happy or you're just like thinking about the future which tends to give us a little bit of anxiety or like oh this is the right thing to do is there a right thing to do sure i mean probably but but mm-hmm. but but the moment that we're thinking i'm not saying that thinking about it is a bad thing i'm just saying that if we want to be in the moment Right. It's, it's by definition, not in the moment once right. you have a goal, because you're saying there's, there's this thing that I'm trying to get to. And, and in order to do that, you have to imagine there's a future self that you have there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100%. I, I would tell you just a funny story. It reminds me of a, uh, there's a, so this is, again, there's a whole, this whole topic, which I don't, <laughs> I don't think we need to get into is there, there's a concept of um, in Jewish thought of Musser, which is, a funny word, uh, but it, it refers to not just knowing laws and following laws, but of the background of the, and sometimes it's the emotional state, sometimes it's your character of all these like, almost like what they would call the soft skills to be able to do the hard skills of actually, you know, following laws and doing the commandments. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's working on all those soft skills that are around it. Um, and so one of the the uh, greats for the of, of this movement for the and he lived about uh, I think it's about a hundred years ago now. Um, his name was Yechezkel Levinstein, um, sometimes known as Rabbi Yechezkel Levinstein. Don't even try to say it; <laughs> you're going to run into some difficult pronunciation there. But um, just a funny story. There's he was actually sitting with somebody else, and they were waiting for a bus, um, and he was like sitting there just you know, think like meditating or, or and, and often it's meditating about a Jewish, uh, Jewish liturgy or some, some text or something like that. Um, and the person sitting next to him turned and like kind of looked to see if the bus was coming. And he like, I think he, he, you know, like, he just like gave him like a little, like a potch, a little, a little smack on the side. And he, he said to him, he said, the reason why you're doing that is because you right now are thinking of yourself on the bus. Hmm. Like, and, and what was the thing that he did? I, I, I missed this. So, he, so, he, so you have two people sitting on a bench. Okay. Um, he's, Rabbi Chatzalev is sitting and, and, and kind of meditating, focusing on what he's doing. And his student sitting next to him turns and looks to see if the bus is coming. Mm. Um, and his and like so he he's the student was like what do you mean like i'm i just want to know if the bus is coming um and he said when the bus is here you'll get on the bus when right. when the bus is not here yet you're you're thinking about this future of you needing to get up and get on that bus but that's not relevant right now right it's like, not useful at all thinking right. about that is not going to change your life it's just going to give you a little bit of anxiety 
Right, right. And so that's why, like, it's funny because that's what you were just talking about of, of whenever you have a goal, and even if your goal is to get onto that bus, starting to think about that when, now, if you want to say, like, I need to do X, Y, Z right now in order to be able to get to that goal, um, that's a planning perspective, and that's right. fine. But if you're no longer in planning, then you're just leading to anxiety about something that's happening in the future. A hundred percent. And I think that, yeah, you, you, you just said it beautifully. There is a purpose in thinking about it when you're planning about it. And maybe when you're modifying the plan as you go through your, through your life, right? They're all plans change to some extent. So maybe when you're modifying, you want to sit down and think about that. But the moment you did that, why do you want to do that again? Like, why do you want to like compulsively have that repeating thought? Hey, I do that all the time, every day, multiple times per hour, probably. But, but it, from a, like a philosophical and even from a wellness standpoint, it's not useful. It is yeah. not useful to do. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I often will say to uh, uh, patients, like, if you're, if you're living in the past or living in the future, either one is bad. I mean, the, the classic psychological perspective is I'm living in the past. I'm still trying to solve problems that happened 20 years ago with my mother. You know, that's not really relevant anymore to your life. Um, but the same sort of thing, I think they say like depression is living in the past. Anxiety is living in the future. Um, and so I, I, yeah, that's the same sort of thing. If you want your psychological health, you do need to plan and you do need to learn. So like you learn from the past, you plan for the future, but you also need to live in the moment. Exactly. And then, and if we correlate that to the breath thing that we were talking about before, if we're paying full attention to our breath, it's going to be, it's going to flow. It's going to flow beautifully. And the moment we bring, bring ourselves to the future or to the past or to anything that takes us out of the present, it's going to jerk. Mm -hmm. And that's why, that's why they're thinking about this in those terms. Yeah. Like, yeah, like uh, you, you, you can talk philosophy in multiple ways, but the most effective, practical way of dealing with it is just like focus on your breath, bro. Like f figure out like how <laughs> how's it flowing, and then you can go deeper into it. And that's mm -hmm. something that I find. That's why I find yoga beautiful. And coming back to what we were talking about, this chaos, right? Like the yogis and still some yoga traditions will will say chaos exists. And so we want to minimize the chaos externally and internally. Well, we want to minimize the external chaos so that you can pay attention to your internal chaos and minimize right. it to the point that you find nirvana or samadhi and then start beginning your life. Then they bring you back to society. It's not because if you think about it, ever, ever, ever expanding consciousness, inevitably a part of your expansion will be to maintain your expansion in the chaos that's just it's just ha it just has to be part of your training so one way of learning it will be to go to the cave where you're not going to have crazy news crazy environmental disasters <laughs> uh, political issues family issues you're only going to have milk so you're not even going to have this something so this is why they, they're so nuanced about this this is why some yoga traditions will not eat garlic and will not eat onions because we'll never have coffee would never have alcohol because it, it, it this external 
influences that you bring to your body will make your mind work faster or, or will make you become more jittery or will slow you down if you eat something like deep fried or like you know? <laughs> so right. so then they want to eliminate all that stimuli as much as they can so that you really can so that you really can know that fluctuations in your mm -hmm. awareness are completely yours and then they they help you modify it but the moment you modify them you have to go to chaos so might as well start in chaos in my opinion <laughs> so why don't you start in chaos start dealing with the chaos and find your quietude in the chaos and what better place to do that in new york city in my opinion right like where, <laughs> where it's like the epitome of chaos and i don't know so that's my point of view which which it's a yoga point of view too. There's, there's a, there are the tantric schools are like that. Deal with the chaos in its fullest expression and then learn to love it and learn to, to, to live lovingly with it and through it. Mm -hmm. and, and that comes back to that word that uh, Kadush, was it that you said? Kadush? Kadush, like the Kadusha. The Kadusha, like the bringing the spirituality into all of your actions and and transforming that chaos into spirit. And, 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 and that's one way of using the words, but another way of using the same words is like transforming your life into something that is full of love. And intense love is scary. And it's kind of, because, right, like intense love is not predictable. It's not in your comfort zone. It involves fully letting go. And it involves forgetting a lot about what's so, happening so I, I, i'm gonna i'm gonna just jump in for a second i i yeah, please, go ahead. i i i happen to to uh, you know this is we've, we're, this is like a, a, a kind of a new topic bringing up like intense love and, and what that means and how that relates and um i i think the this is a a let me start let me start this way the concept that we understand as the concept of love is very difficult to divorce from what has been um, expressed or what has been taught to us as what love is. Um, I, it's funny because I know this now with having kids. Um, when you watch what things kids watch and you see the, the media that, that kids are exposed to and the messages from that media, um, it's totally scary and you're like oh my god how in the world are we allowing kids to do this and then you say wait a second like i had the same thing when i was a kid like this is not that much different um you know fine they're watching frozen now you know i saw aladdin as a kid like it's not <laughs> they're, not, they're not totally different but I, I think that what you're describing what i'm what i'm hearing from you is like when you describe when you quote unquote fall in love that feeling um, and that intensity and that like whirlwind experience so i we use the same word but i i wouldn't i wouldn't use that word i mean we have to like and we don't in english we don't have enough of these words we call everything love like the same way you feel to your children you call i love my children you know we use that same we say these the same words so that i feel to like a bagel and cream cheese like i love bagels and cream cheese like we use the same word um, and it's almost like we need a better vocabulary because there's a whole nother experience when you have, and even the same, like to the same person, that person that you were like head over in heels and like your brain was just always 
you know, rushing about them and like you were nervous, but excited, but worried, but like, you know, exhilarated yeah, at the same like time. Compulsion, yeah. So those, that's where like, I, I think that, that this gets into a really complicated terrain of, you know, ultimate love when we talk about like, or, or love towards God is a whole nother experience. And just I, the problem is we only have one word yeah. to do that. And it's like, it, 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 sometimes I, I, you know, I use this in therapy a lot. It's like, when you only have one tool and you need, some places you need a screwdriver, some places you need a hammer, some places you need a wrench. If you ever tried using a screwdriver when you need a wrench, it doesn't really work well. Right. Um, so that's why I think, you know, I would be, I'm just, when we start, like you started down this road, I wanted, I was yeah, like, yeah. you know, there's, there's a bunch of different paths over here. And I, that's I, so true. And, and I'm glad you brought it up. Because, yeah, I, I talk about, like, I, I'm, I'm using the word love, and I'm meaning something very specific that probably doesn't relate to, like, most people's minds, right? Like, I, I, see, I see what you're saying. And, and I guess that what I'm trying to say in that, Kedusha, I'm trying to say it so that I remember. Uh, <laughs> you got it, you got it. Yeah, is that I want to, so what, I, what, what I'm doing is it is a sort of expression of my unconditional giving into the moment to that particular instance, whether, there, whether it's a person uh, writing a book or walking or doing whatever. And that in my mind is true, like ultimate love, like, a, like, a, like an expression of giving yourself to the moment or, but 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 if you want, but you can say I guess we could say moment, but it could we could also mean creation and 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 uniting ourselves with it in the action of that present moment, and and that's what I mean, and that involves chaos ultimately, and that's why I I use coming back to what we were talking about initially, that's what I believe meditation helps you with, right? Like you, you, it, it, meditation is this little tiny space in which you do have that moment of minimizing the variables. It's like kind of that cave moment. And then from that cave moment, you raise awareness and raise attention to differentiate the external from the internal and to ground yourself into the internal and project the internal into the external, transforming it into the spiritual. And and the more you do it, the stronger it becomes. And, and that's what they were trying to do in the caves. They just like oh, that more of this groundedness. Now, the problem with that extreme groundedness is that if you bring that groundedness to chaos, I think you're prone to, to lose it because you're not used to it. It just feels more powerful. And I don't know. I don't know many enlightened beings <laughs> that came from the, the cave and are now in the city like preaching. But in my mind comes Osho. Have you seen this documentary? No. Uh, oh, they have a, a Netflix documentary that it's amazing. And uh, it's this guy, so Osho, this guy that supposedly enlightened, comes from India to create a, a retreat in the US. And it really d down spirals into a sort of revolutionary commune with AK-47s defending it and trying to destroy Arizona. 
So that's kind of crazy. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it really, it, it's a, it, and, and it's funny because you read Osho's book, they're, they're really good. And I think they're really powerful and very spiritual. But I do think that that thing just, the fact that you become very highly uh, uh, self-aware person doesn't mean that you can't regress from that, right? You can easily, you can be very fit and run ultra marathons and a year later you can have a beer bell and watch netflix every day <laughs> so I'll, I'll tell you just a, a just a corollary to that there's a um, a rabbi rabbi yaakov hillel mm-hmm. uh, so he is he is a mystic he is a uh, well he's a he's trained in mysticism um, he's probably the foremost recognized rabbi in the world on mysticism um he has some amazing books that are just for that anybody can kind of pick up and to understand about. Um, but there's a couple different things that I've heard him say that I think were just are fascinating and can relate to exactly what you're saying. One of them, uh, he was talking about people who are false mystics in the Jewish community. Um, and he said, he said in, um, in building physical things, building physical things, you can create and you can make a mistake. And because you have a foundation, the mistake doesn't physically, the way the, 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 the foundations work is that you have a strong foundation. And just because you made a mistake doesn't mean it, it, it tumbles. Like you, you, and then you can change that part. And, it, and the, each piece exists on, it, on its own. Um, but he says in spiritual, spiritual uh, ascension, it doesn't work that way. You know, you can build yourself and build yourself and build yourself. But if you lose your perspective at a certain point, you fall straight to the bottom. That is the, that's just the way it works. Um, and then you have to go back building up from the bottom again. And he, he, what's interesting is that he says, um, you know, people who talk about this person who's this tremendous mystic and they know so much about, but they, you know, they weren't, you know, really, they, they have this, character flaw or they're they're doing that transgression and but like you know we try we worked it out and so you know they're not like let's say for example you have a guy you know we know he's not so honest with certain things but you know it's okay because he's such a great mystic so he says he's not a mystic that's impossible it doesn't work that way you can't you can't take only part of this package and become this great person it doesn't that never happens that way um and he, he like he just described it remember he said that there was one of the the greatest people in the in, in the generation, someone who's who's known as the Stipler Gaon. Um, a Gaon is someone who's a genius and, a, and a, like a tremendous scholar. Um, and he came from a city of of Stiples. So he was called the Stipler Gaon, the, the genius from that city. Um, and so he said that he was the only person that he ever knew who was a true hidden, uh, a hidden uh, tzaddik, a hidden righteous person. I, what do you mean? Everybody knew that this guy was really super righteous. He was, this, he was called the, the, the Stipe Lagoon uh, because he said is you could only see a small amount of his true greatness. And that's the definition of someone who's really great. And so I think that to some extent it relates to what you're saying of that you do have to maintain your own integrity and you do have to live in your, your ivory tower to some extent. And your engagement with the chaos in the world has to be regulated so that it doesn't interfere with your own strength and even incredibly strong people 
don't have the ability to do that because simply because it's not a physical structure. You're not creating physical armor that, you know, I can hit the armor and everything's going to be okay. Um, so like, I think those, those two concepts meld together there, but I, but I will one thing just to say, cause I, I think we're talking about the ideal and maybe the, the extreme versions. And then trying to say like, oh, for, for kind of us plebeians, how does that, <laughs> how does that exist? You know, what, what, what do we have to do with that? But I, I think the same thing is true of, you know, understanding that the, the gains that you can get throughout your life, even when you're engaging with chaos, don't have to be canceled out because, oh, you know, once you fall down, you fall about all the way down to the bottom. That is true. But your ability to to get back up and move and move back up, I would say is very similar to like we talked about with exercise. True. You know, if you, if you lose what you're doing, you fall back down and then, but your ability to get back there is much stronger because you know what you're doing. You have the mindset, you can get back into running or exercising or weightlifting or meditating. And that can get you back to where you want to be. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I know you, I like what, what you're saying in terms of, how it's diff different in the physical world versus the spiritual world that where it's almost like a mind state kind of uh, situation, but it's also, but it's core, but it has a foundation of, of, of like a general values that are core to its philosophy. Like a, there, there, there's a very, a, a very specific, like 10 commandments style uh, <laughs> set of, set of values that you need to, to, to ground yourself into in order to get there. And those can be interpreted in different ways depending on where you're at in, in, in your development. But I, I don't know, like, I, I, like I'm thinking about myself as you bring it up and I'm wondering like, okay, sometimes I, like, I feel like I'm a, I'm a good person and I, and I think that I could do good things and I have certainly multiple times fallen back into stage one and I and I I find it easier to bring myself back to, to where I where I feel like I am. But even in my position, like I I I have moments of doubt. So doubt is an interesting thing, right? Like what is what is doubt really? Like like it, it, okay, doubt is a is a is a good thing when you're not sure where you're going. But doubt is also. I'm, okay, let, let me try to make sense. There's this guy <laughs> that wrote uh, *Civil Disobedience*, Henry David Thoreau, and he he talks about in there that that, uh, that there's a line that I really like in the sense that you have to discover your truth. And, and you have to be able to, to, to have this like begin, like a beginning, I forget the name, like a beginning mindset or like child mindset where, where you learn the thing and, and when, uh, after you learned it, you have to realize that was a mistake in the, in the way that I was seeing the world and a mistake that in, in the way that I was seeing reality. So I have to re redo everything and think of a better way to do it. And I guide myself through that principle, but if you have, if you let yourself cloud yourself with doubt, then you're not going to be able to fully follow a path. And if you don't fully commit and don't fully follow a path, 
the moment it fail, then then you're not gonna know if it's a, if if it's gonna fail. But the, but I'm right now like a stuck in the loop of doubt. So is it even a good path? Like not doubting it, does that make it? Is is that a way to ra rationalize something that maybe is wrong already? So that I'm almost speaking from the from the mindset of doubt. Is, if that makes sense, does that make sense? So I'm 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 little missing not following you totally. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> you know, I got. I think the the there was the idea in there that I was I, I would, you know that I I heard that it made sense to me was the concept of the more doubt you have, the less you're going to be able to engage in whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, I, I you know that that's true and that's necessary. Like we don't do we don't do a lot of things because we doubt that we're going to be successful, which is smart. <laughs> we want to make sure that we don't do those things. Um, but I, I would say what I think what you're getting at is you can, uh, I, one of my teachers used to make this point. He, he said, that, you know, people say that they're agnostics. Mm -hmm. um, so agnostic is that I, I, I don't know. And A, agnosia. I don't, mm -hmm. A is the, the not, you know is to know. Um, that is, and that's very possible to be philosophically agnostic. You can say that I don't, I'm not sure about something. But it's impossible to act agnostically. You either act like you know or you act like you don't know. Like, or sorry, you act like you, you believe it's true or you're acting like you believe it's false. There's no in the middle. He used to use the example of, you know, you can go to a restaurant and if you're about to drink the water, the waiter comes to you and says, look, there was uh, a scare today in the water system that's part of it got contaminated with salmonella. Um, they're not sure if the restaurant was impacted by that but here's your water. Now you can say I'm agnostic as to whether or not the water has salmonella in it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I do not know, mm -hmm. but you either drink the water or you don't drink the water. Right. Uh, and right. so the, 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 your agnosia doesn't, doesn't impact action. So what I would think what you're talking about with doubt is a similar type of area where you can have doubts about things and that affects everything philosophically you know, before you're getting involved in anything. And, but when it comes down to it, you're acting either as if you cannot do this or as if you can do this. You know, let's say, for example, you say, you know, uh, say a guy says, I, you know, or a girl says, I want to pursue this pr profession. And what you're, you're, the active thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to um, send out my resume to these jobs and to go down for interviews. Now, you might doubt that you're going to get the job. That's true. Mm -hmm. But that if you sent out a resume, you're acting as if you're going to get the job because you, you really thought you were not going to get the job. You wouldn't have sent those out. And you're acting in the affirmative. The doubt is almost like we were talking similar to another point that we had mentioned earlier is when you're in the future, when you're living in the future, you're living about what's going to happen in the future and you're not in the present, is fine in a planning stage. But once you're in the acting stage, I need to be focused on what I'm doing here. I can't be living in the future. Um, so I would say the same sort of thing. Doubt, again, is thinking about the future. How, what's the possibility of this is going to be successful, not successful? And if that's impacting what you're doing right now, and like you're pulling back. Now, again, planning-wise, it makes sense. It might, you know, let's say you invest in something. It doesn't make sense to put all your money in there. You're not sure that it's going to happen. Um, so you have to include the doubt in your planning stage. But once it's there, or once you're acting on it, you have to act fully as if there is no doubt. I love what you just said. Like, I, I feel like you, you cleared so many doubts that I was having 
as I, I, I as I heard it. Yes, that's exactly. I agree because I I don't know. I started thinking about the concept of doubting at some point during our conversation, and I noticed it changed my whole perspective. Energy. Like energy into a doubting energy, and I'm like, wait, what? What's going on? So I felt like I needed to like talk about, and and that's what it is. You have to that you can create doubt. It's it's even good to have doubt in the thinking process, in the planning stages, but not when you're acting, because then you're acting as if you're not doing the thing. You're acting as if you don't believe in it, and you know that's so true in medicine. And I, I think I give a, I, I give a, uh, you, you may have been there when I talk about uh, authentic communication. And, and there's a point that I bring up there in, in which doctors, all of us, there's so much we know and there's so much more we don't know. So even when we know exactly what the treatment algorithm for your condition is, and we know that to be the best evidence we have in the world, when we... Not all of the, not all of us, not all of us do this, but a lot of doctors talk with such a sense of doubt, and that doubt doesn't come from their lack, uh, or or they uh, they act. Let's not say doubt. Like let's use the way that you frame things. They act uh, when they offer you all the treatment possibilities. They act as if they don't know that they're good for you, and. And, and the reality is true. They don't know so, that, that, that it's not good for you, but, but, and it may not help, whatever they do. But, but the certainty of the action shouldn't come from there. It should come from the certainty of knowing that I'm going to do my best to help you and, and that we're going to deal with the variables as they come. So it's, it's a sort of a reframe, and that gives confidence to the physician and that gives trust to the patient. And then suddenly the patient is very happy to try and hear your ear. Like, because if you're coming from that, like, I don't know if this is gonna help. They don't even wanna hear your, your treatment right. choices. But if you come from the certainty that I know that I'm doing my best to help with what the tools I've got, then they're gonna be like, yeah, let me know what are these tools. That's right. what it is. Okay, that, this was very helpful to me. So I, I would even add on just like a little piece there. There's, I, I think I see this with psych, in psychology for sure. In medicine, it's the same thing. That people, there's two, there's, there's almost like two points of certainty that you want. You want to know that you, this, whatever is happening now is going to get you in the future to there. I want to know that's what, this is going to get me there. And that right now, of my choices of things to do now, this is the best choice. And like, if you split those two, we, we kind of conflate those two, but if you split them, then your, your kind of doubt and not doubt with it as it relates to doctors really applies only to one and not to the other. So like, if you're talking to a doctor and the doc and you're saying, is this going to get me to this, to this future? And the doctor says, I don't know, I'm not sure. You know, 75% of the patients get there, 25 don't. And, and we don't know what that, other that other variables are that impact that. Um, so you want me to be certain? I can't be certain because it's the future is not certain. And then there's a second step of well, these are your options now. You have one, two, three, four, five. Which is your best option given this background? 
And it could be, no, this is your best option. Could something else work? Yeah, sure, 100%. It's like saying, if you were driving somewhere, what's the best route to take? And you say, well, you should go this way and then this way and then this way because that's the fastest route. Now, are you sure there's not going to be any accidents on there or maybe some, you know, this time of the day isn't the best time for you and you, maybe if you took a different way, it could be, but of all, you're asking me what's to tell you right now, what's the best way, this is the best way. And so I, I think that that, sure, that that certainty is not about outcome. Certainty is about process of what to do right now. Uh, and again, I think this is all related to that, that same, like we're coming back to the same concept in, in like an iterative fashion of living your life and applying it generally to your life, living your life certain about this next step, what I'm doing, because I've thought about everything and this is what I want to do. Now, it might not get you there. And I, I would even say just that you just brought this up for me. I don't know if I can jump in and do a little bit of a tangent is that we often think about our past life with that. It's not doubt anymore because we have the, we know what's happened in the future, but of regret in that way of thinking, oh, I should have, or I wish I had made a different decision in the past because I know now what the outcome is without thinking about in that moment with all the variables, did I make the best decision or did I, did I really think about everything in the best way that I could have? Um, and that's the same sort of thing. If you're really living in the moment, then even when you think about the past, think about the past as you were living in the moment in that point. And I, I, to me, it's the same sort of, it's the same math, just going backwards instead of going forwards. Am I, does that make any sense? Or is that... Try again. Okay. So, so let's, let, let's do the forwards and then I'll explain how it, it, okay. it correlates to the backwards. So like what you're talking about is it doesn't make sense to live with doubt because right now you're telling, whether as a doctor, you're saying, this is the best thing for you to do mm -hmm. right now. Now, does that mean I know for sure this is going to get you to the goal that you want to get to? No, because I don't know all the things that can happen between here and there. Or there are probably variables that are impossible to see here, and I can't see them, and they might affect it, and there's no way to see that. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't make sense to go spend the whatever, how much time and money and effort looking for those un uncovered variables. Of, all, of, of what we have here, this is the best decision. This is the, you know, my expertise is telling you to do. Um, and that's the certainty, rather than the, the, the doubt of the future. Mm -hmm. Is that... Yeah, <laughs> well, that part's good. Yeah. Um, so then, the same thing. Like sometimes we, what it happens often emotionally is we'll look at the past and think, you know, when I made that decision in the past to whether it's a relationship, you know, I made the decision to to go out with that person, or I made the decision not to go out with that person, or I took that job, didn't take that job, went to school, didn't go to school. All those decisions that happened in the past, we can look back and and think and regret. Like I wish I made a different. Now, what, what are you thinking? You're putting yourself in the driver's seat in the past and thinking about you could have made a different decision there. There was, there, was this, there was this other reality where you could have done something different. Now, what happens is the reason why, to some extent, you regret is you feel like it was really possible. I really, I really could have just done something else. Um, and so my, my point is, is that what it is, is, is this span from you here to going all the way back to the past of thinking, you know, I could have, you know, that in this space, my, my, it should have, like I could have ended up here and I didn't, I could have made that decision differently. But 
the only way that you can think that way is because you're using where you are right now and your mindset now and implanting it all the way back to where you were. And it's, it's almost like you have to have both pieces in order to have that regret. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's why there's no point in regret either as, as well as doubt. Well, I guess the point you get is if you really just looked at it just from the past and you don't think about what you know now in the future, just from the past, you'll come out with the same decision likely you made in the past. Or, I mean, you could regret not trying. Yes. Like you, you could regret like being, you know, you, you let the, 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 the problems of, of your, of your life. And, and there's decision points there. I mean, that's definitely a Jewish concept of, of being able to make decisions. It's, it's not, everything's not uh, predetermined. Um, but you didn't, so you can have those regrets. And I think that's a different story, but often we have regrets about things that if you think back about it, you're like, no, I actually made good decisions uh, at the time. I just didn't know the information I know now. So the, I, I would say it's, it's that being able to look only from that perspective in the past in the same way that when we talk about from, from the present going to the future, if you can only look at the, at the present, and then even when you get to the future, you'll only look at the future. And then you can, you, you, you're being honest with yourself. You're being honest with who you are, what decisions you have, and being able to be confident and being certain about the decisions that you make. And I think that's the, that's the point. So like you can be confident about decisions in the past by only thinking about them from the perspective you were in the past because that's exactly where you were. Being confident about the decisions in the present because I'm not thinking about what the future is because I don't know. I can't, I, but I know what's best to do right now. And, mm -hmm. and that, I think that's the, that's that. How and and that's, that's, a, that's where I got caught up like uh, five, five minutes ago. I was thinking about the future implications of like, am I holding the best interest of everybody in all of my decisions, of everybody that I care about in all of my decisions that I'm making? And then I started thinking, well, I don't know. And then if I don't know, am I making the right decision? And I was thinking about things that are impossible to think about. I, I was thinking about, like, what are the internal drives of everybody else around me and their internal motivations and their ultimate desires and how much of these desires are real desires versus unconscious desires versus desires that they think they can get in this specific way that it's completely wrong or it's right. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But what I do know <laughs> is that in the moment, I can increase the chances of you getting what you want by being as honest as I can in terms of what I want and how I feel and how I make you feel. And then you can decide to go along with me in this journey that, that, that we're taking or not, right? Like that's really the choice when it comes to the future. And when you were saying about confidence in the past, it, it, it's, to me, it feels more like comfortable with the past, comfortable with past decisions that they being the best thing I could with that caveat that you, that you brought up, which I really liked of maybe you didn't try to do that thing that you wanted to try, right? And that's a beautiful caveat, which brings me to another full-on kind of like stoic <laughs> philosophy of you're going to die, right? You are going to die. I am going to die. We don't know when. So might as well do that thing that you really want to do today. 
because that that is a regret you you may have if you don't do and 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 le- really trying to and you we're always going to have i mean depends how much you dwell on it how much it affects your life but we're always gonna not do things that we want to do and those are the ones that will hurt you the most and and so really minimizing that throughout your life and throughout my life is a goal of mine so so i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in um yeah. because i i think i agree with with i would say 80 percent yeah okay. um you know the 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 80 percent of that you're, you're, when you're looking to the past and there's that feeling of like, I didn't try something that I wish I had tried. Um, and it's often that, yeah, you, you pushing yourself to do something that makes you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, then that's you know, definitely a positive. And then the other point that you were making also agree with is that you don't really know how you, and you have, everybody has the ability of thinking more about something. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always like, you can always think a little more. You can always ask why you can always, you know, why this? And then you give me an answer. I can say why the answer that you said, and then you have to give me another answer. And then I can say why that answer. So you can always go down a rabbit hole there. And what's and like, almost like from a cognitive perspective, we have a very limited, um, input and, and capacity for conscious thought. So if you start saying, oh, I need to think about all these things consciously, you're, there's, you, you don't have the capacity. You either, you're going to be bounded either by time or capacity. So like either it's going to take you six years to make a decision because you have to think through everything or you're going to say, I'm just not going to think about all those things because I can't. And naturally that's like, we talk about heuristics. That's what we do. We cut out all the conscious thought. We use a couple different things that we're conscious, like cues that we're conscious about. We make those decisions and you're, we have to feel confident about that. And so again, that's why I think it comes back to the optimal or maybe the best word is optimal decision rather than the best decision because optimal is like you, you you're optimizing your positives and negatives or your risk your, or your limitations and your assets um so that's the same sort of thing like when you're making a decision about if the medical thing yes i could go through your whole history and go through everything you eat and everything you do and and all of that thing and it might not come out with anything and in the process of that you might die so we're not going to do that. We're going to try to make the best decision that we can with the shortest amount of time that's going to give you, and we might, we might need to try something later. Um, but the other thing that you said about, that's, what I think, that's the part I, I really very, very much agree with it. And I think it's important to think about, you know, even thinking about like this, your whole podcast of thriving. Thriving is not about doing things in the best way. I would say doing things in the most optimal way, getting to where you want to get to in the most optimal system or program um, but the the second thing you said about trying things like we always were going to regret we we're going to die we're going to die at some point so we might as well just try whatever we can try um i wouldn't I think, say whatever we could try but whatever is meaningful to us in that moment okay yeah. so so the, 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 there's a there's certain caveats the meaningful is like the to me that's the linchpin word yeah. because there's a lot I, I i and the jewish tradition has this very much is that we have a lot of drives and motivations that do not come from good sources and and (laughs) so well well, we could have another full podcast about that but please elaborate so so that the the in the there's several different um structures for this and so it gets a little complicated but on a very simplistic level Mm -hmm. um 
in the Orthodox system, you view that you have, um, there are, I guess this is, a bit, this is a better way to look at it. There are purely spiritual beings. Those are angels. Now an angel is asked to do something. They don't have a will. They don't have any, any possibility of not doing it because they follow exactly what they're told to do. Um, on the other side, there are, I don't, know, like, I don't know if it's demons or whatever, how you want to specifically, I think the word in Hebrew could be shaden. Um, but, and so you have, there's like almost like a um, purely animalistic type thing where yes, again, it does exactly what it's supposed to do, but it's not spiritual goals, it's physical goals. And those lead, you, lead to physicality. So you have these purely spiritual beings, purely physical beings. And the, the Jewish perspective is that you have both of these inside of you. And there's this one kind of like point of singularity, you want to call it, between them, that that's where your choice is. When you start, when you make a choice, you have both of these things. And then there's a, a point where you can become more physical or become more spiritual. Um, now, getting more complicated is like adding on another layer. You have actual, uh, uh, like there's the Yetzer Hara, which is something that's pulling you, like not just that you have it as part of you, but it's something that's physically pulling you or sorry, spiritually pulling you towards the negative. It's our hato, something that's pulling you toward positive. So you have this, this dynamic. Um, and so right in the middle of that is when you make your decision to choose one way or the other way, which is why, you know, when we're talking about like these choices and like you want to do one thing, you're doing the other thing. It's knowing that there's that, that nexus, that, that point in the middle. Is that clarifying it all for you? Yeah, it, 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 I got it. And, it, it, and it brings me a lot of thoughts and feelings. Uh, you know, <laughs> because the, creating this dichotomy, it, in my mind, it brings to like, let's talk from the demon. I mean, I mean it, it sounds like you're talking like uh, the impulses, like, uh, like uh, the physical des desire impulses. And, and maybe even more other things like... Uh, just whatever dry, whatever it feels like an impulse that is not very well thought. We all have drives of destruction. We all have sex drives. We all have all these different things that are part of us, every single one of us. That, and, and, and if we consider that to be a demon and, and something to step away from, we, what we're doing is something that in my mind it's always been done. Societies do it, parents do it. And, and, and this is what creates a schism in our conscious mind. Like we, we neglect, there's a part of ours, ourselves, that is like a, the demon part of us. That demon part of us, we have to not pay attention to it or neglect it. And we really actively are trying to create a psychological schism and a, and a separation from a part of ourselves that inevitably we push to the unconscious mind and becomes an unconscious drive. So, so, I, so that's where I agree with you, that, that if you, you suppress it mm -hmm. or, or um, you ignore it, suppress it, uh, deny it, all of those things, I agree with you, that, that ends up with those psychosis and, the, and, the, and the, the psychological problems and even I would say spiritual problems that come from that. The... Uh, and so that when going all the way back, thinking back to the beginning of our conversation, uh, when we were talking about how um, different schools of thought relate to physicality in the world and what do you try to distance yourself from physicality 
or do you try to incorporate physicality and raise it spiritually? So that, that same sort of concept um, that they talk about is, I don't know if you remember, like the way I was referring to it is when you make that choice, you're making yourself more spiritual. You know, when you choose to follow, you know, your, your the better part of your nature, you're, you're, you're creating a, a, a positive. Now, really, like, let's use like a, a clear example. Um, let's say someone has uh, whatever urges, you know, we have, we have, think about Adlerian, you know, urges, Adlerian, you need power or, or for Freudian, it's in their sexual urges. Um, you go through, I think Murray is the one who talked about all the different, um, uh, what was it, the, the, his, his hierarchy of, of needs, I think. Um, and so those, if you think about all those things, there's ways to channel those and to use those in a positive, fulfilling, purposeful way. There's ways to be destructive, you know, leading more toward chaos and leading more, whether it's personal chaos, societal chaos, all those things as well. Um, but that's where I think it's, it's, it's important to have a framework behind you to say, it's not just, oh, you know, today I'm in the mood to do this and I think it's okay. I think I'm doing the right thing. Um, but that's where that, that, that you get that framework of, let's say, for example, you want, to, you want to eat something that's, you know, really tasty and you want to fulfill that part of you that just wants to enjoy the, the, the food of the world. Now, if you do that in a way of like, I want to have a, a special meal and this meal has like a spiritual significance to it. And by enjoying what I'm eating, I'm enjoying what, you know, God has given me. Then it's not just like, oh, it's very fancy, so it's good. It's that actually the enjoyment, the, and you're, you're that almost lust for food, you're, you're gluttony. It's being channeled in that I'm ex it's an expression of my spirituality. It's an expression of my connection to something greater than me. Um, so, and in that way, it's re lifting up that piece. Um, now, and you can really do this with all of your, all your urges, all your, 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 your feelings inside of you. Um, and that's what I think, in, at least from the, you know, I'm only speaking from the Jewish perspective, but that's really what that goal is. Um, you know, even using the example for power, you know, if you think about that, it's really hard to think, you know, especially like for, for, if you're, I want to, I want to feel powerful. I want to, now you can use that to destroy others. But you, like we were talking about before, you can also use that. I want, I want to build. I want to grow. I want to, you know, be able to to kind of control things. You can use that to create tremendous things that can help people. You can use that to to, to like better the world in a, in, a, in, a, in an amazing way. Uh, I will also connect it with what you were saying earlier: is that the more you do that, the more you're engaging with chaos around you, and the more you engage with chaos, the greater the risk is to get caught up in that chaos and for it to turn you. So that's where, again, they talk about that, the same sort of thing in, in Jewish philosophy is that as you start to in, include physicality in your life more, you still need to be very careful that you know that, that, that you're staying in the right place. Like I'm engaging with this specifically for this purpose. Uh, and just to and maybe like to bring it all the way, like also to, to connect all the dots here. Um, one of the, you know, there's a tremendous amount of, like you, you said yourself, uh, related to the, to the church, there's a tremendous amount of taboo around sexuality when it comes to Judeo-Christian thought. It's totally, it's, it's chock full in, in, in everything. Um, there's a very, I don't know, not very famous, but a, a well-known passage that says that 
you know where God exists? God exists in the union of a man and a woman. And a man and a woman are lying together and having sex together. That's where God exists. And you would be like, what? That doesn't sound Jewish or Christian at all. Like, like come on, that, that, that's exactly not where he exists. But the reality is that that relationship and that union between two people, when you're channeling through and very physical, very almost like, you know, almost beast type of urges, when you channel those in a purposeful and meaningful and spiritual way, it's one of the greatest things that you can create. And so I think that that's where we talk about these things. You know, we talk about um, this duality of being spiritual and physical. It's, yeah, it's, it's hard. And, it's, and you have that piece of choice. And, you ha- and it's, not a, it's not like this, this simple thing to build up. But when you can and when you connect to it, it is amazing and it is tremendous. So coming, <laughs> that was a whole long speech. But I think the, the getting, getting back to the point is that your your innate your ability to engage with the physical world and to lift it up through the purpose that you have in the rest of your life and that framework that you you live with is a way of of really thriving and really living in you self-actualized understanding yourself but and not needing to take away from everything that's happening around you beautiful (laughs) beautiful speech i agree a hundred percent with it and and that is a like that's a, a very good uh, explaining about that initial dichotomy that you were talking about. Yeah, I agree, and I think th- th- all these urges can be such a powerful source of spiritual spiritual energy and expression in the moment. You know, may, t- making everything that you do meaningful to you, because at some point. That's what produces you happiness. I mean, we go back to the Maslow hierarchy of needs, and maybe we can close with this because I know that you're you're, you're gonna you only have like <laughs> left or you know, it, there comes a point where you have all your basic survival needs satisfied. I think, and and I may be wrong about this, but I do think that it is the natural selfish impulse of human beings to help others, and. <laughs> And, and I think that when you get to this point, your, your natural way of enjoying your life is to produce in or to create in meaningful things to you, because I think we're all human beings are selfish in that way. And what it makes you feel good is what makes you, what makes other feels good. And then this becomes this, this almost like mo- through the momentum of creating safety in your life and not being afraid anymore, it, it, the natural outcome of all of that is just making life beautiful for yourself and others i think that and then and there are a lot of counter arguments if if you use like oh but there's all these rich people that are not happy yeah sure but that doesn't mean that they have fulfilled that inner peace first like that Mm -hmm. inner survival mechanism maybe maybe you can have a ton of money and still not feel like you 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 get the love you deserve from from the parents or 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 who knows you know right i mean your concept like this is a, a, also a really huge concept in, in, in Jewish thought is the, 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 how giving um, manifests itself in terms of your own actualization. Um, now, like if you want to, the most broad concept, like if you want the, the, like certain like concepts are like super big. This is like the super big one. 
is like purpose of creation type. Um, it just it's, it's almost like mathematical. Um, you know, if you, if God created something, then there was a purpose, and he there whatever he would want, or he or she or it, is to give that person that thing good, to, to give that there to, to give something positive. Now, the best good in the world, the thing that's the, the, the best that a person could be is really to be like God. And so the following the math almost, it's that you, God set up a situation where a person could make himself like God. That would be the best thing to do. That's the best thing that something could give. Now, what's interesting about that is that if almost the way we understand God is that he created this world, he created something to give. Then, and to give in the best ways to make him make, you know, whatever it is like godly, then for a human being to be able to be like God, then you're emulating that same thing. You're giving as well. So just like God, if you want to be God-like, then you have to do the things that God does, which is ultimately to give. Which is why I think it's interesting, you know, you look at all the, uh, the, the psychological studies about giving and that there's so much positive that people feel when they're able to do something for another person so much more than even they can, if they, they don't even have the opportunity to do that themselves, they end up with more positive for it. Um, and that the, our ultimate, um, you, even let's say thinking about like we were just talking about before creating more 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 spirituality in the world what you're literally doing is giving to the physical thing the the quality of being being able to be raised up and be spiritual mm -hmm. so you're giving to that doesn't you can give to another person you're 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 and if you're like taking a step back you're ultimately giving godliness to things around you so on a simple level, I can give, you know, someone a meal um, and that raises them up. But, the, like, you know, say you teach a man to, to, to you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, you teach him to fish, you feed, you feed him for a lifetime. That same sort of thing is that if you can raise somebody up with their own feeling of I can now go and I can actually, you know, raise the world around me, then you're giving them that godliness as well. So it's that, I think it's that same, that same concept. I, and one, just to tie a little more tying together, the word, love, we were talking about with love before. Um, and this is it's also a relatively well-known concept. The word in Hebrew, um, ahava, um, and I, it might be a play on words. Um, the word hav, actually in Aramaic, means to give. Mm. Um, and so it's often meant to understand that a real love is a love that you give to somebody else and the, the, the feeling that you have in that relationship. Um, oh, and so they, they talk about how someone you like, and you see this with it's parents and child is the best, the best example. Who loves, who loves the other person more? Does a child love a parent more? Does a parent love a child more? And it's obvious. You're like, you know, at the ultimately, it's a parent loves the child. The feeling that they have is is going to be more intense than the feeling from a child to a parent. Um, and the reason why is because the feeling of love, and this is obviously a very specific type of love, is increased and is intensified by giving, 
not by getting. Like you don't, the person that gives to you doesn't love you as much as the person who is actually giving. Um, and it, it's a it's a tremendously powerful thing, but it 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 again relates to the same concept of that you're as you're giving, you become more spiritual and more godly in that uh, in that act. So, <laughs> give me <laughs> a little deep for the end. <laughs> I loved it actually, and 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 it ties very beautifully with a lot of what we've talking. What, be, what we've been talking about. It, it, I, I really like our conversation because it, it's like multiple circles coming back from different points of view. And, and I feel like I've learned a lot today. <laughs> I, I, I will say that, Christian, every time I talk to you, I come out tr knowing, first of all, knowing a tremendous amount of information about things that I would never have had the opportunity to learn about in any other time. But also... You, you help help me clarify things that I've been thinking about myself. So, Well, thank it. you for that. And you're welcome for that, too. <laughs> thank you. Driving from chaos to driving.